I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 173, which I know is correct this time. It's been wrong for a few episodes in a row. And I am your host, MotoGP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. We are coming to you from Nokomoto headquarters, which is also Moto One Podcast Network Studios. And, you know, not a whole lot has happened around the campus this week. It's mostly been, honestly, a lot of work that I've been doing. And I'm, you know what? I'm going to mention this on the show, Swigs, to make, to, to kick myself in the ass and force me to finish this project. I have been working on a legit, like, custom-made web app for the show. So pretty soon, I don't know if it's going to be pretty soon, but within the next couple months, I'm going to say, uh, you guys are going to be able to go to Nokomoto Podcast. Well, you can go to NokomotoPodcast.com right now if you I want I prefer to. you did. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> It's a it's a it's a horrible thing that hasn't been updated in who knows how long. But we're going to make a thing that auto updates, which is really nice. But also where you guys will be able to leave comments and corrections and photos on episodes. Pretty snazzy. So look forward to that. And if you don't see it happen in a couple months, send us emails and be like, "Hey, you said this cool thing was going to show up." All right. So, on this episode, Swigs, we are going to uh, talk about the last couple rounds of MotoGP. We're going to do Best Worst Bike in the World this week. And we are going to have a little celebration of Valentino Rossi. It, and and that's that's going to be quite a thing. We shall have a, a an official induction of the Nokomoto Hall of Fame, I think. So we'll do this GP and that, and that'll probably round out the show. Um, we'll well actually we should do some emails as well. I, I know there's some built up. So with that, are we ready to just jump into best worst bike in the world this week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So here we go. This is it. Best worst bike in the world this week. We have each selected a motorcycle. We don't know what each other have chosen. Like always, it's a surprise. If you don't like the choices, you can shut up. But it's going to be fun. Just remember, it's all in good fun. We do really love all bikes deep down. But this is just a fun way to look at a couple bikes in a way that you wouldn't normally look at them. And every once in a while, one of them kind of does suck. So, Swigs, you have worst bike in the world this week, right? I do. Awesome. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. Let's hit the sound effect. Um, oh shit, I've moved my sound effects around. Where is the thing? Where, ah. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The Honda NX650 Dominator. You know I had this as best bike once, right? Did you? I did. Uh, well, that was a terrible choice. It's not a perfect bike. Um, it's definitely <laughs> not a perfect bike. 
Like, okay. Uh, so, what's incredible about this bike is just how enduringly bad it was. It, and I say this is a bike that I kind of want to love, but there's just too much weird shit going on here. So, ostensibly, so this was made from 1988 to 2003, and was, in theory, Honda's competition for the KLR650. But it didn't really quite work out. So, in a lot of ways, it's very similar. It's 40 foot-pounds of torque, it's 44 horsepower, it's a big 650 single, it gets... Yeah, it's uh it's about 40 miles to the gallon. It's a 4 liter tank. It's got all that stuff going for it. Uh but there's some weirdness going on. Well, it's it's basically the 650L, but it's dropped some of the off-roadiness in favor of more street-friendly attributes. It's dropped a lot of the off-roadiness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's 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 very it's very sort of like big bore supermoto ish. It's very KTM uh, like six six hundred Duke. Well, yes, except that without would... all the top end, <laughs> <laughs> without all the top end, and um, I'm talking about the original Duke, not the six ninety, like the old school nineties Duke. Yeah, I guess that's that's somewhat fair. Now. I actually love the looks of this bike as insane as it is. Um, yeah, who's... Everything from the square headlight with the weird like Mega Man boss face on it. Oh, I'll tell you, no, the face of this. Who's the uh, who's the 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 sassy cop from Futurama? Oh, you mean Leela? No, no, the cop. Oh, oh, the cop? The robot cop. He's oh, yeah, time to bust some. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's who this looks like. Yeah, it is. With, like, the big visor face and, and, oh, and the yeah, slit I, mouth. I you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Futurama uh, robot. Is it, what it, it is, is, yeah. But it's got, like, the weird, like, straight vents to just a 650L radiator. Like... That that only hurts the airflow. It it's purely cosmetic. Uh, it, well, no, there is no radiator on this bike. It's air cooled. Uh oh, you're right. It has fake air vents. It has it has like like well, yeah, what do those air vents do? They're not going past the motor. There might be a little oil cooler up there, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> What's it doing? That's a stat we should look up if, if it's oil <laughs> cool. But yeah, so it, but no, so you can't hurt, you can't knock this motor. Like people, people get down on this motor because it's yes, not I can. tuned up. I can get, I can, I can be down on this motor. Okay. What do you think the oil change interval is on this bike? Oh, it's going to be atrocious, like all of them. It's going to be like, it's going to be like, well, it's not going to be like the four fifties where it's you know. 1200 miles but it's gonna be like 2600 miles or something stupid like that 1850 oh what uh is that for all years of it 
Uh, maybe for the earlier years, but it, it's it's not good. That is the okay. It is straight up like the 650L oil change interval. So it's got that going for it. Um, at the same time, it's it, they went with all these weird graphics and tried to do this higher end model, but. Even even a stock KLR comes with better like fifty fifty tires than this thing does. Like, did it need plastic coated forks for the lowers? Why does it have like a? a There's so many clashing elements on this bike. This is the most bipolar motorcycle. I have ever seen. Yeah, it is a 90s enduro-style bike with gold rims. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, <laughs> that doesn't... I mean, I think it looks cool, but it is it is odd. You don't see a lot of that. I mean... I, the, the, I think the fork gators are are in keeping with the look. Well, I, not the gators. Like, the plastic covers over, over the shocks themselves. Yeah, but that's a I mean that's a dirt thing. I mean, you know. I mean, ultimately, I believe this bike can do some competent things off-road in, in the limited way you would want to use it. Maybe. Uh my problem with this bike is that everything is just slightly off the mark and sits firmly in the uncanny valley. In all of the ways that the KLR doesn't. I mean, you're right on that point. The public voted, and they voted thumbs down. When they voted up on the KLR. For 25 and, straight years. Yeah, well, again, the problem is is uh, it, it's, um, it's one of those times that Honda didn't think like Honda, right? It, yeah. you know, Honda and Sony and a couple other Japanese companies are just really great at this thing of like, don't ask the people what they want, anticipate what they're going to want, and then build for that. Try to try to create the environment that where people are going to want that a few years from now. And you like you've got, you know, on one end of the spectrum of these bikes, the KLR650, which is very low on the performance very high on the on the on the torque and you know not really all that off-roady but off-roady just barely enough and then you've got the um the the ktm duke or the, the you know the early dukes of this time which were all about the top end performance and then this sits in the middle and it turns out when you get into really specialized fetishy things of bikes like this people get really polarized and will make a lot of compromises and what okay. they don't want is a is a bike that has a half compromise on every f- aspect of it so here's where you're wrong and why all of your all of your uh, negotiating falls apart this bike started the year after the KLR650 this chased it yeah. I don't think you heard what I said. So we've got this super fetishy already category of these bikes, which are sort of off-road bikes, but they're sort of on-road bikes. 
they're sort of performers, but they're really sort of not, right? It's this fetishy thing of like these people that are like, well, I love off-road riding, but I only want one bike in my life. What is the magical uh, combination of compromises, right? So the, the KLR is compromise all the way for practicality, and the KTM is compromise all the way for performance. Honda went in the middle, right? Now, Honda often invents these categories for themselves or at least brings them back at a time when no one else is competing in these categories. This is a time where Honda is just kind of going with the flow and not doing what Honda does best. You know, like Honda has some spectacular failures, right? But, you know, oh, those, yes. but those failures are, are inevitable in order to have the big hits, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get a, um, what's a good like 80s Honda failure? Like, um, or even early 90s. Uh, um, well, again, like you, you don't, you don't, what year did this start? You said like 93, something like that? Uh, 88. 88, oh, there you go, yeah. So 88, yeah, you don't get the CBR 600RR without something like this happening in between where Honda just goes, fuck it. We're just going to make this crazy thing and see if people like it or not. Right. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is, um, it's very Honda and on the surface is a lot of great things about it, but it is Honda going with the flow rather than inventing their own categories, which they're so good at. So I I see that. And, and again, when you get these bikes that are already in a weird category, people go crazy to one end or the other. They they eventually realize, oh, like people say they want the Swiss Army bike, right? I, how many, you know, quote, Swiss Army bikes are there? There's a, there's a million. And some people will say that like the, the 250 Super Sherpa is the best one. And some people will say the, the KLR 250 is the best one, or it's the 650, or it's the, it's the, the, um, the DRZ 600, you know, 650, or any number of these bikes or, or the KTMs or whatever. Everyone's or got the an opinion. Street, or just the straight up street legal, um, yeah, take a 450 and make it street li- Yeah, there's a yeah, just lot. Plate, put a plate on a, on a 450. There's a lot. and But it turns out that there really is not a formula that's going to make very many people happy. Every time a bike like this comes out, there's tons of people who are like, oh my gosh, we've been waiting for this miracle of combinations of features for so long, and now we're getting it. And then everyone promptly doesn't care the next week because people will say what they want all day till they're blue in the face, but they rarely actually go out and buy it. Yeah. I mean, really the, the Swiss army knife is, is like a one, two, five Honda winner towing a 500 pound trailer with 400 chickens and cages on the trailer because that just works in Vietnam. Apparently it turns out the the real Swiss army knife is, 
is really just a jagged piece of obsidian that you found on the ground. Yeah, it's just you making whatever you have around work because you have to. Right. But but in the context of uh of Europe and North America, there's a lot of people that are constantly like, oh my gosh, if this one company only made this one bike but with design characteristics of this other bike that they made in the eighties, then we'd have, then I would buy it. Oh my gosh. And this is a great example of that because you can just see it, right? This was supposed to be the bike for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's meant to be like the, uh... like it's problem isn't even a problem of its own. It's a problem that, 95% 95% of enduro bikes have. Do you know what I see when I look at this bike? What, what What's the, the gun called from the fifth element that Gary Oldman shows off? It's like the oh, X99 yeah. or something. Yeah. It's like the spear gun and the flamethrower and the machine gun with tracking bullets and the freeze blast and, and the missile launcher, like all in one. Mm-hmm. It it looks. Busy. Don't forget, like the the tiny nuclear weapon built into it. <laughs> like that's that's what I see when I look at this. It, there's like all this weird. There's so many weird elements coming together. It's like just oh, I don't know. Pick something. I I still kind of love this bike, but I'm willing to go with you on this in that this is very. This epitomizes the problem that most of these enduro bikes have they if you're gonna make an enduro bike you should just go you should compromise really far to some end of the spectrum now i will just i will just qualify this this uh this choice a little bit in that if i could own one of these for a year i would absolutely do it right (laughs) yeah i mean it's i I, I like the weird graphics. I like the the weird design. I like the Jeez. Um I love the seat. This is from a great era of Honda Honda off road seats, right? This is this is an era of big foam for Honda. Oh, by the way, what do you think the seat height on this bike is? Oh, it's impossibly tall. It's it's like I think it's like 35, 35 and a half, I think. If I, if memory serves, what is it? It's 34 and a half inches. I was off by one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh I mean, that's pretty damn close to what my 450 is. But again, this is not for just purely off-road riding. This <laughs> right. is supposed to be somewhat compromised for the street. Um, yeah, that's again, it's that weird blend. It's like, oh, it's still really tall. It's still got really long travel suspension, but it's not really fully off-road either. So why is it so tall? Yeah, the the comp the blend of compromises is not correct. Well, especially when it's also still 400 pounds is it that much i didn't realize it was that it it is 400 pounds wet okay which is still kind of heavy it's a little fair with with a four gallon fuel tank 
I mean, it is still just really heavy, though. Like, there's... Yeah, it, it's compromising, but it feels like all the compromises are just a little bit off. It's yeah, everything every every tunable piece of this bike is kind of just like five cents out, if that makes sense. You know, it'd be great for though to find one of these where like all the bodywork is completely fucked up, and take off the turn signals. You know, all that stuff. Strip it right down. Spray paint whatever body works left or somewhat intact. Duct tape it up together. And just not give a shit about it. And just, you know, it's it's just like the backup bike at the track. And you just don't give a shit. Like, fork seals are leaking? I don't care. You know, like, let's just put more... Like, you know, are you going to replace the seals? No, I'm just going to put more oil in. Right? <laughs> that, that sort of thing. That's what one of these would be great for. Because, like, oh, does it handle well? No. But it's got power, right? Right? Like, it's just as a point-and-shoot bike for, for the easier tracks. That's what This would be really good for that. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've actually never seen one of these in person. I bet these only exist on farms that still don't have electricity. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't Maybe, know about that. I, 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 I can't. I, I, I don't think one of these has ever been has been exchanged for money in the last ten years. Like, you know what else it's good for? I'll tell you that if you if you do leave the turn signals on and everything, you don't ride it to the track, but it's the perfect thing. To go to the gas station when you're at the track. Oh yeah, yeah. It would be good for that if 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 you're going if you're going for a day or or even if you're just going for like uh some uh some some trail riding. You know, a lot of a lot of your friends are gonna have bikes that can't go on road, right? And yeah, your bike sucks and everything, and it's old, it's nineties, and it doesn't have a lot of performance. And it's really heavy. But you can get to the 7-Eleven. This is the bike that you ride to the gas station. And you don't carry any gas cans. You just fill the tank up and then come back to the track. And you just siphon it into everybody else's gas yeah. tanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if if we if like one day when we get our super shitty RV that we can just cut the back off and put a um like a ramp on, that yeah, we'll have to find one of these for that duty, right? The the, the bike gets an oil change every like three seasons because that's really all we use it for. Yeah, I for some reason I just see this as like a super redneck bike. Where like siphoning gas is like a once once a month like task that you just have to do. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of your life. I get it. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. I again, wow. I would also yeah. totally own this. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just outlined exactly how we would. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, are we ready to move on to best bike? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Here, pass me a beer while I load this up. And the best bike in the world this week is, especially this year, or in the last two years, 
But I'm going to say any year. Uh, the uh, the Calyx Frame Moto 2 bike. Ooh. So, if you don't know the particulars of how Moto 2 works with its rules, it's kind of interesting. And in Moto 3, they, they ride 250 singles with one of a few little engine configurations that are kind of like deemed like they're they're made by different companies, I think. But they're, it's, they're, you're more or less you have a couple blueprints that you can make and that's it. Well, it's basically just two motors. Yeah, and you can pick either one and essentially just by the rules, the company uh, Honda or KTM have to sell you the motor. And that's it. But you, right. but you get a sealed motor. I mean, mm-hmm. I, well, actually, no. I don't think that's true. You get it in, you get it like as a box of parts. And you put it together and you tune it. Uh, but there are certain things you have to follow. And then at the beginning of the season, they inspect all your motors. You seal them up. And then the top, not even the top end can come off until the end of the season. Right. And then as far as the frame goes, I'm not even sure what's happening in Moto3. Uh, I think they might all be running the same frame. But what's special about Moto2 is everyone's obliged to use the same motor. And everyone is free to use whatever the fuck frame they want to use, more or less. I mean, there's rules around it, obviously. But it's more or less sort of like, hey... If you want to weld something up at home, like if it passes, you know, the the rules that we've given you, like go for it. So famously, a few years ago, KTM insisted on using their own bananas trellis frames. I, And they were really stubborn about it. Coincidentally, when they stopped using their own custom trellis frames, they started winning. Well, the the trellis frame Moto 2 bikes weren't so bad. They were kind of okay, but the even KTM, the stubbornness, the stubbornness of the stubborn, they they the most stubborn of the stubborn. They finally moved to the Calyx frame and started winning. Now, there's a few companies that have are there's two companies that kind of always made frames for Moto 2. One is Calyx, and what's the other one? Um, oh, God, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm like but, nine beers in. You right. can't just drop this on me. Anyway, there's a, there's a few companies that have done it, but this one company, Calyx, makes frames for Moto 2 bikes. And, I mean, they probably sell them for, like, you know... Um, other very small obscure race leagues as well or something but like uh, i i mean sales of that must be so low wait doesn't mv augusta make a frame mv augusta does uh or at least they tried to they may have just moved to calyx as well at this point uh it begins with an s the other the other manufacturer i'm thinking about but let's put it this way of of the of all race wins in moto 2 Last oh, year, Suter. Suter, that's it. 
I think 70% of all the wins were on Calex bikes. Like they are very dominant. Also like 95% of the bikes are Calex frames. That's true. But yeah, I would say 8 out of 10 of them are. But yeah, they are very very good. So Calex is this weird German company that just really makes a bunch of MotoGP parts, more or less. Well, that's not entirely true. They make um, a bunch of like steering heads and like steering components that go on, you know, world superbike stuff and, and other things. I mean, we're talking about like $5,000 triple trees, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's a lot. I think just as a member of the public, if you want, you can buy a Moto2 frame from them. It's unreasonably expensive. I You could buy a lot of really nice, complete bikes for what these frames cost. It's like buying a washing machine made on a high-precision commercial CNC machine. Right, like, yeah. It's, it's an insane proposition. Right. But if you want it, mm-hmm. it's there. But ever since the change from the two-stroke bikes into the GP era in 2010, I think... So for for like 12, 11 years on the trot, Calyx has been the dominant bike, right? Because there's not really a Ducati. Like, you know, we say like, oh, the KTMs were so dominant this year, but they're not really KTMs because they're Triumph engines, Calyx frames, right? Um, Olin suspension and you know, all these other things. There's no real KTM in any of it, oddly enough. It's a bike that says Red Bull KTM all the fuck over it so not really very many ktm components it's really a calyx and a triumph more or a marriage of those two so but all the bikes have a triumph engine so the calyx the bikes with the calyx frame that's the most unique component we kind of call them calyx bikes so a Calyx frame Moto2 bike, even even when they were doing the Honda 600, uh, the CBR600RR motors in Moto2, the Calyx frames were the frame. In fact, I think back then, in the 600cc era, I think they were even more dominant. It was more like 80-something percent of the wins were on the Calyx. Now, this is all in important because you know you have sort of little dynasties in racing you have periods of two three four years where a particular racer or a particular team is getting a lot of wins and really kicking ass it rarely goes on much longer than that right there are entire decades where Ducati was dog shit in uh, not Ducati uh, Ferrari was dog shit in Formula One and you know five six years sprints at best where they where they did really well um, you know same with Honda or Williams or or whoever right racing is just, no one's ever on the top all that long in racing and for Calyx to be this dominant. You know, these Calyx frames in Moto2 to be this dominant for that long. That's also for a major engine change. Right. That's something that doesn't happen a lot. 
And it's worth pointing out that a Calyx Moto 2 bike is, it's the smart money every time, right? Every time. I mean, it's weird though, because it's not, it's not a particular team. It's like, well, I know the teams with the most money will buy these, these components. So I don't know. There's a lot of other factors in it, but still for like going on 12 years now of dominance, that's, that's pretty special. That, I mean, that, that is, that is up there with a lot of the biggest, you know, sort of like winning streaks I can think of because the, I think the overall season winner in Moto2 in, in the GP era has always been a Calyx. I don't think a suitor has ever won the championship. Uh, I think that's probably correct. Right. So I, I don't know. Like I know people can poke holes in this argument or whatever, but it just still stands this, this amazing streak of these things come together. And, and, you know, like what is the special sauce in the Calyx? I mean, it's also kind of weird that no one really knows. I, right. (laughs) I've never seen like a Calyx rep show up to a MotoGP and do like a Simon Crafar segment or, or yeah. anything like that. And they don't advertise either. They're the only not a super big company. If you go to Calyx's website and I have, like it there's there's not a whole lot going on there. I mean, again, you'll see where you can buy $5,000 triple trees. <laughs> and stuff like that and they'll and they'll show and they'll they'll have like you know pictures of like moto 2 components that you can put on your bike at home if you desire and trust me i would love to have some sort of calyx frame bike at some point but that's just such a ridiculous dream because i i mean yeah i could get like three classic gold wings a lot more than that i mean these frames are expensive expensive that like let's see calyx engineering can we even find a price on a frame here like it might be a sort of just inquire within or if you have to ask right uh do do you see anything on this uh i see everything except for frames yeah it's probably just like a call up call us and if you have to ask you can't afford it that's what i think it is um i mean it's all super badass but it's yeah i well uh, well, here's a frame for me that's not the motive let's see 15.5% lighter but then what, right? <laughs> um, oh, the 3000 Mio is the name of the Moto2 frame. Okay. So they just don't say the price of it. But yeah, you can straight up buy one of the... That's pretty interesting. So anyway, yeah. So I, weirdly, you know, they say like, oh, the only way you can get a Moto Two bike right now is to buy the uh, the weird edition, um, whatever. Yeah, for a semester of college tuition, 
You can <laughs> you can own the weird Triumph uh, Moto Two ish bike, or you could just buy a Triumph motor and just do every performance thing you can think of to the engine, and buy one of these frames, and I kind of get there. Well, you could buy the frame for that much. I mean, yeah, if money's no object to you, you really can build a Moto2 bike, like the Moto2 bike on your own. I mean, if money's no object. Whereas, like, you know, a GP bike or a Moto3 bike is just sort of not available. You can kind of buy old ones, like eight-year-old ones. They'll just put up for auction every once in a while. But you have to, like, sign an agreement that, like, you'll never ride it and weird shit like that. Yeah, that's kind of that's a common Ducati thing. But it is interesting to see that like it, it may be difficult to get like the actual performance like Triumph 765 motor with all of the actual Moto 2 parts, but you can kind of get 90% of the way there. You're not going to get the electronics package, but you can bribe somebody at Magnani Morelli. Yeah, I guess that's so. Absolutely an op- or that's absolutely an option. Yeah. Sorry, I was playing with the website. There's a thing here where you can move the mouse up and down and move the swing arm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um yeah, these are this is ridiculous. So that, yeah, there we go. Oh, here here it is. Here's that that the uh shop now for this triple tree i gotta get a price on one of these triple trees because like honestly that's um, we're really not far out where come on give me a price give me a price i know i've seen it on here so oh triple clamp uh 1869 euros for triple clamps that that's what we're talking about here Okay, it's not five thousand dollars, but it's it's basically two thousand euro for fucking triple tree. I mean, there's not even a lot of metal here, but whatever. It's all kind of worth it because this is quietly one of the most prestigious names in in prototype racing, right? So, I don't know. There you go. Just look it up. Look more into this company. Look at the amazing winning streak. Because as far as, like, winning bikes, a Calyx frame bike is kind of hard to beat. Kind of hard to beat. And let's also, I mean... You know what it is? It's, it's, it's very much like the, um, the classic Italian boutique brands. Like, um... Uh, You're talking like Bimoda? Because like, Bimoda was all about making frames. Well, all yeah, like Bimota, like um, what, what's the other ri- ridiculous one? Um, I'm blanking on every name today. Not Kajiva. Um, but it's like it's like uh, it's it is like the like the Italian boutique brands, but it's instead Moda of Marini, or but instead of doing a boutique luxury brand, they're actually putting their money where their mouth is and getting results in a way that is much more like ferrari okay yeah all right cool 
I'm ready to move on. Should we wrap up the uh, the last two rounds of GP here? Like, I don't yeah. even need to talk about every race. All right, let's move on to it. Let's let's kind of hit the highlights of what went down. So, whew, let's see here. It's been a little while, so really, just anything that sticks out of my memory, you know, a few weeks later is what's worth talking about. So. Uh, I remember the Moto3 and Moto2 championships both being a lot closer than they really should have been, right? Yeah. The, like, they, I, Remy Gardner barely pulled it off, but for a minute there, looked like he was trying to give it away. Uh, it did look like that, but... I would all, I would mostly credit that to Raul just really putting the hammer down and putting the challenge up, but just being a little bit too late to do it. Well, if he didn't have that crash out uh, uh, three rounds before the end, it, I, he probably would have taken the season, right? Yeah. If it wasn't for that freak, uh, that freak uh, low side crash, like on the what, like. It was closer towards the end of the race, um, you know, right before Remy got that uh, that big um, ride through penalty. I we would have been looking at a Ralph Fernandez uh, season here, yeah. And when you looked at me and you were like, "I don't know, that's a lot of points to to bring back." I mean, it almost wasn't right. Well, in the end, it seemed it almost it almost seemed inevitable just because of how consistently he they were pulling those one twos and one threes off with Raul ahead and just how big the gaps were. It seemed inevitable. But again, if you crash out, then uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, right. It's going to ruin your day. Um, so yeah, I'd be, mean, you know, um, <coughs> geez. What did Remy have? Like six wins? or something like that for this season, six or seven, something quite a lot, right? Just completely destroyed the first half of the season. And when he was off the podium, he was never far off the podium until the very end when he started putting in like, you know, 11th places, 14th places, seventh places, but he already had such a big lead. It didn't matter. Interestingly though, after finally getting a good bike, he didn't implode and just crash every race. He did yeah. kind of he he faded, but he never he never imploded. Yeah, but it was good. It was it was good, but um but yeah, ultimately he deserved to win this the the championship. He did win the championship. Not on a race win, but doesn't matter. Most championships aren't won on a race win, right? That's just not how it works. Um but you know good for him it was still really satisfying to see him win that right first of yeah. all not an italian not a spaniard so right there you know the, a lot of people are, are rooting for him as an underdog um you know an australian win ah eh, it's not an american or a british win but we'll sure shit take it right um and then we've got let's still see. commonwealth still commonwealth exactly so, uh, Moto3, I, Pedro Acosta was trying to give it away as well, right? Yeah, 
Well, Pedro, it seemed like he was just coasting for a long time. But this is also just kind of the nature of Moto3. Like, the actual difference in results between, like, brilliance and and just keeping pace is really not as big a gap as you would think just because of the nature of the class. Also, we had so much fucking chaos this year. Let's not forget somebody actually died. Yeah. So it you you also have to put the whole season in that context. Um and I would say you know he did kind of he did coast it in a little bit. Uh but my favorite part of this whole thing is exactly the circumstances in which it happened which was uh oh um Fagia his closest right. competitor who was fighting to stay within um, a 25-point gap going into the final race, getting taken out by none other than Darren Bender. Yeah, the usual suspect. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, you you nailed it. You said Darren Bender is my favorite Moto3 rider. Because he channels so much Andrea Iannone. And you're right. You're right. In in a non-Italian way, he really does. Um, I love him. I, he, he doesn't do all like the weird male model stuff. But, uh, but besides that, yeah. Um, yeah, there's not much more I can say other than I, I you know, I felt bad for, for Foggia because like Ralph Fernandez was just putting so much heat onto it, making a championship interesting almost right up until the last race when it was a championship that really had no business coming down to um, such a late uh, uh, decision, uh, uh, such a late victory on the championship, right? Yeah. Everything kind of converged into you know, moto three and moto two it kind of turned into like mario kart series where yeah. everything rubber banded and just regressed to the mean in a very strange way yeah yeah everyone who was hot in the beginning completely completely faded and then these other guys just you know about two-thirds of the way through the season just started winning everything and, and it just seemed like there were two or three guys in both in both the series who were just kind of treading water right and then we had these these big breakout performances of these other guys and because remember the, and, and what it really did was it saved the season okay because we were talking about how, oh my God, if Pedro Acosta doesn't win this season, like, who, like the world doesn't make any sense anymore. We're what like, a fucking loser. Exactly. We're like, this is <laughs> Remy Gardner's year, and like they should just give him the trophy right fucking now. Like, why are we even having a second half of this season? Right. And we'd kind of written those championships off. And yeah. we got, and we were more invested solely in GP for a while. And then quietly, our race winners just kind of imploded a little bit and all of a sudden like, Oh, Ralph Fernandez is doing a lot here. Right. 
and and uh, Dennis Foggy is doing a lot here. And all of a sudden, we've got four races left, right? Like after Coda, and we're like, well, hang on. This is actually up in the air. I mean, I was almost thinking that we didn't have any reason to watch anything after Coda, almost. And but it turns out we were wrong. Like they both came, they both those championships were within, I mean, they could have gone either way on the second to last race. Yeah. And, and, and these were two series that really had no business going that far, but they did, you know? And then, uh, in GP, you know, on, uh, um, at the end, I mean, the last race, nothing really spectacular happened, but, I, you know, even in GP, we get um, uh, Bastianini and Bagnaya really turning it on at the end of the year yeah. and kind of showing what we're in store for next year. Yeah, on completely dog shit bikes. Also, we do need to I talk. I don't know if the Ducati is dog shit. Bastianini's Ducati is dog shit. Yeah. Also, are we really going to have like eight Ducatis next year? Is this actually going to happen? I don't know. I, I'm gonna. I, I think we need for a. Uh, I think we need to wait like three months to do a uh, a GP 2022 sort of like. Okay, here's the lineup. Here's what's going to happen because do we need to have some like MotoGP affirmative action and like get some BMWs or Kawasaki's in? Like, do we need to do something? Well, no. Well, so here's the deal. There's no silly season anymore. Silly season is all the time now. So I, I, there's so many stories. There's so many contracts that are announced, and then they go back on. They get out of those contracts, and they go into other places. I the only thing that's that's for sure is that Aprilia is the only team that will take Maverick Vinales for next year, and he's still gonna suck. That's the only thing I can say for sure about next year, right? <laughs> yeah. And outside of that, who knows, right? I mean, like, Vladimir Putin could be riding a bike next year, right? I don't know. It, it, it's, it's all up in the air. I'd love to see Vladimir Putin ride, by the way. I bet he'd go for it. The... The 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 idea of like eight Ducatis is weird. Uh plus you all know, the electric bikes being Vlad, Ducatis. Uh you know, Putin shirtless, if if somebody can just like Photoshop him like from the shirtless on a horse picture well, like into well, like Quadraro's leathers or something. Uh, the, like, why hasn't this happened yet? Right. This yeah. is a missed opportunity. It really is. Um yeah, so, um, I mean, this all kind of, <coughs> geez, <coughs> this is all kind of leading up to the, you know, the big thing. And it was a moment that I, that I didn't know was going to sort of get me as emotionally as it did. But we got Valentina Rossi's last race. And he finished, did he finish 10th? Or 11th. I thought it was 10th, though. I thought he just... Because he was kind of bumping between 10th and 11th for a lot of the race. And I kind of lost track at the very end. But um, but he you know, he finished mid-pack, essentially. 
which at age what 43 now or is he only 42 i i've been plus or two minus right at one of his <laughs> entire career uh he finished uh he finished 10th yes okay there you go so top 10 top 10 finish on his very last race at what i want to say where is he here he is 42 february 16th 1979 this is birthday so he's a few years older than me um uh, there's so much about rossi's career you i i tried to put some notes together and i was like there's just too much here there's just too much. Just the Wikipedia alone is takes like a like a couple hours to read. So I abandoned this idea of trying to have some sort of comprehensive view of his career. And we're just going to go through the Valentino Rossi wiki here and point out some of the mo- these Honestly, if you mind blowing stats and career highlights, because I we all know he's Valentino Rossi and he's a legend, but to 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 put all this like in one spot is wow. So um we all know Valentino Rossi, you know, from uh born in Tavulia, which is near um What's his home track? Um, it'll hit me in a second. Anyway, um, his father was a motorcycle racer. Um, started racing go karts in like, um, like ninety one something like that. Nineteen ninety three starts riding a one two five two stroke. Um. Uh, in ninety four, one like a um. A one two five championship wins the world one two five championship in nineteen ninety six, and that's when Rossi gets into MotoGP, right? So this is two stroke pre you know MotoGP era, right? Um, I, I, I could go into all this, but like a bunch of. A bunch of stuff goes on there. Then uh, 98 gets into the 250cc World Championship, uh, or wins, sorry. Sorry, in 1998, he wins the 250 World Championship. I think, uh, did he race in 97? What does it say here after the title went? Oh, no, so first year in Moto, what was now Moto 2, so 252 strokes, wins right off the bat. Um, Then On an Aprilia. Yes. Well, yeah, Aprilia was a much bigger deal in racing at the time. But yeah, then we're up to essentially the we're up to the premier class in 2000. So again, first year in 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 the 125s, first year in the 250s and first year in the premier class wins. Just boom boom boom. So it's 2001. He's been racing for 7 years. Uh, eight years and he's won like a world championship like every other year during that time it's ridiculous um wins then in then in the next decade wins six moto gp championships 
this is just unheard of. So, so oh, wait, it's no. also worth pointing out that he went from the 125, 250, 500 CC. He went through all the original uh, three two-stroke categories. Then he went into the MotoGP four-stroke class. Went through the 800 and the one liter class. And just incidentally rode a five-cylinder four-stroke bike. That was 800 cc's. Yeah, it's a weird bike, but it's like one of the coolest GP bikes ever. And so this and is... And it's almost incidental in his career. Right. Like, <laughs> he raced with... Also, he raced with Yamaha, Honda, and Ducati. Right. Championships with Honda and Yamaha. Uh, race wins on all three, even though there's yeah. only one Ducati win. Um, yeah, this is stuff that no one else has done. Well, yeah, I mean, really, yeah, yeah, no one else has done that. He, the best is, uh, at this point, I think it's just uh, Lorenzo with with a win on a Yamaha and a Ducati. Uh, in did the he modern get a, era? Did he get a win on the Honda? I don't think he did. No, no, no. he didn't win on the Honda. Yeah, so, but the Yamaha and Ducati for sure. Um, but even just going for it is... like I don't even know if Lorenzo would even have gone for that option if Rossi hadn't already done it. Right. It's also like, you could also just look at the number of, like, just in terms of if if you just count up rivals that Rossi has collected. Rivals? Oh, like, yeah, like, um, like Sete Gibernau, like Marco Melandri, like, um, Max Biaggi. Max Biaggi. Oh my God. Okay, so this is another thing about Valentino Rossi. We've got to talk about Valentino Rossi. Like, he's toned it down so much in the last decade. But especially from, like, about, like, 2004 to about 2010, 2012, he was a fucking character. He was such a fucking lad. So uh, yeah, uh, I mean the 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 best moment his him at him at peak lad was after race him and Max Biaggi just having a straight up fist fight in the garage. Um, My favorite moment was just um, just putting the middle finger up in mid apex, like at the apex in the middle of a race. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, there was a. Um, uh, well, and then we have to talk about him essentially inventing the MotoGP victory celebration, right? So he was winning so regularly, and it was so predictable that he started having all his... Fr- I mean, people have always had, you know, celebrated really big when they win races, and they've always done victory laps, and they've always done wheelies. But Valentino's the first... And I guess this is something about motorcycle racing. You know, when you race in a car or a lot of other things, you're strapped in and 
you kind of just have to go to the pits and like the crew has to extract you from the car and everything. Whereas a bike, you can just kind of just jump off. And so, and so Valentino takes advantage of this and starts doing wacky shit, like having people bring props out and say, and him going like, okay, now when I win, I'm going to pull up to this corner and you guys meet me here and we're going to have a blow up sex doll. And we're going to write, you know, uh, Cameron Diaz on it because Max is dating Cameron Diaz <laughs> and like we're, we're we, you know and it just keeps getting crazier and crazier like but they're also really potty goofy. involved in one they're, they're also yeah they're also really goofy it's it's kind of like having um here's the best example of it a lot of Rossi's wins were it's sort of like when you go bowling and now all the, you know, if you've gone bowling in the last 15 years, which I I assume most of you have, you know, when you get a strike or a spare, there's just like a rotating list of like 40 or 50 different, like really low budget, uh, like CGI animations of yeah, bowling yeah, balls, yeah. assassinating bowling pins. Like that's kind of the level of cheese that like Rossi celebrations were at just brought up to a PG level. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really fun stuff. And then by contrast, you get things like two years ago, Mark Marquez with the, um, uh, like the eight ball, you know, they set up a whole pool table and everything. Those are older than that now. Oh yeah, yeah. There's I, the, there was the the eight ball. There was the arcade machine. Um, oh yeah. The dice. The die was the the most. Oh, that was the cringiest. But how do all, you do a dice without just going for a, for a full craps table? It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, and it was so weighted. And he had, uh, and he. I think I still believe that he thought it was random chance that it landed on the six. <sighs> <laughs> I believe that he believes it was it was by chance, but there's no way it was right. <laughs> um, but but so so yeah, he set this precedent that now winners have to do some sort of celebration, like it's expected. This was not a thing at all until Valentino Rossi started winning so consistently that people started going, oh what's his big celebration going to be? Cause he would celebrate every win and for every rate, you know? And, and of course, Valentino, like so famous also for having special helmets made for races. And also, he was also a guy, he also was somebody who always just kind of embraced the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, um, when Simoncelli was around and an up and comer who was making waves but crashing a lot and taking people out, you know, everybody else around and was like, you know, this guy's really dangerous and I, I don't know if he's really cut out for this. And he keeps pushing it. And Ross was just like, I fucking love this guy. Right. What a yeah. hero. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. I think, uh, there, there's, um, Valentino, the, uh, as as sick as a lot of people were uh, before Marquez hurt himself, when it was a kind of anybody but Marquez attitude for you know the next winner, 
there was definitely a point where Valentino was winning so much. A lot of people were like anyone but Valentino Rossi. Okay. Like this guy's winning too much, except for the fact that he was always so genuine and always such a likable character that he never had the backlash that I think Marquez has had in, in how much he wins. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like we never disliked Valentino Rossi for winning. We might've been frustrated that, Oh, Valley is going to win again, but we didn't dislike Valley for it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, that That's a tough trick to pull off. At a certain point, even if you're Michael Jordan, it's like, okay, you're Michael Jordan. We get it. Oh, you're just going to win again. All right. And and there you go. I, hmm. Let's go through some more stats here because it's, it's just great. Oh, I forgot about the camel on delivery. So good. That's 2006. I mean, there are straight up, like, huge write-ups on every one of these seasons and these wins and what he's doing. Um, oh, let, let's talk about how Valentino Rossi basically owns the color yellow in motorcycle racing. Yeah, just the concept of Hive is, like, standard, like, yeah. universal, like, worldwide... High Viz Yellow is Rossi's brand. Yeah. It's like owning the red light. Not only that, but in in racing, when people change colors and livery so much, and you identify people by their color, but also by their colors of whatever year, because it's just expected that you're, you know, you don't race out your whole career on one team. But Valentino Rossi takes that yellow with him wherever he goes. Yamaha has nothing to do with yellow. Just Valentino Rossi right, does, yeah. right? Um, there's no other racer I know of that has an association with a color like that, right? right. I can't think of one. And I can't think of many types of... Um, of like the way that Rossi has associated the, a brand with the hive is yellow is similar to like it it's on the scale of like Kawasaki green yeah yeah you have that for certain there's race teams but individual racers having a, and I'm even trying to think of just celebrities of any kind being associated with a color i mean we've got johnny cash the man in black i'm really struggling after that for an association that's as strong i mean i guess the police have blue (laughs) i don't know i don't know what else like uh firefighters have red yeah, but, like it, it's kind of on that scale. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I 
but that's just the that's just the the man that he could that he he just associates that strongly with people that that was that was his look and you know but also it's, well, the it's nickname also... right so the doctor I can't remember what his nicknames were because he had other nicknames in Moto three and Moto two and it was when he got to GP he decided he was the doctor and racers always have nicknames but again like the victory celebration. With Valentino and the doctor, it became mandatory in racing that you had to try to to brand yourself really hard with a nickname in MotoGP. It, I know the NFL does it a lot with nicknames and everything, but it's not like every single NFL player tries to brand themselves with a crazy name, is it? Like. Yeah. Or a catchphrase or something. But every rider, when they get to MotoGP, tries to come up with something that they'll hope that people connect with and they'll try to brand themselves. Like, they always suck. Yeah. Like, like, uh, Jorge Martin is the Martinator. Uh, uh no. Uh, it's sorry. Well, even, um, uh, wow, I'm blanking. Um, Quateraro went oh, yeah. tried to go with Daredevil well, or the Devil. No, it was El Diablo. El Diablo. El Diablo. It's like no. Yeah. yeah. Shut up. I know. <laughs> it's the most horrendously generic name. I mean, uh, it. It's a little bit of. I don't know if they go with it um, in Spanish, but like Marquez has the ant. Well, so that comes from the like so okay when when we talk about Valentino Rossi and rivals, Lorenzo is one of the bigger ones, and Lorenzo really copied so much of Valentino's style. So Valentino had this whole thing with all this like artwork around him and the, these visuals and this coloring and this branding and. And it all was like very organic and kind of grew out of his personality and his style. And, and um, you know, there's like those pictures of like his dogs and his cat and stuff on his bike and everything. It's all very much like just his day-to-day stuff kind of brought to life in art fight for the fans. And, and this uh, there becomes this whole Valentino Rossi VR46 aesthetic. And then you get... And also, like, a lot of it ties into his personal philosophy and how he races and all that stuff. So so Lorenzo comes around, and he copies everything. And he comes up with this whole, like, angel-devil, like, red and, and black, like, color scheme dichotomy thing. And he does, like, the one black boot and the one red boot and, and all this stuff, trying to have these two colors. And, and really, he's trying to just create his weird off-brand version of Valentino Rossiness, right? <laughs> In a way, it really comes across like um what's the rich villain in uh peewee herman's funhouse it's like peewee herman has a really cool bike i want a cool bike right give me, yeah, yeah. Give me. <laughs> rossi has a nickname i want a nickname uh-huh <laughs> yeah and so yeah then you get then you get um marquez joining the scene he's got to have his aunt thing because like you know uh I mean, all MotoGP riders are like tiny horse jockeys, but 
Danny Pedrosa and um, and um, Mar- I, Marquez I are think, especially tiny people. I still think uh, Pedrosa has my favorite nickname of all time. Oh, the Little Samurai. The Little Samurai. But again, he didn't give that to himself. Like the Honda executives called him the Little Samurai. Then people heard about it and they were like, that's perfect. Right. <laughs> That's that's organic. That's earned, yeah. and that's that's fantastic. Uh, but even but even Mark Marquez didn't try to come up with some kind of crazy nickname. Um, but but he still had to do a logo and all this. And this is all because of Valentina Rossi. This is Valentina Rossi changing the game because he was just so naturally a character. Everyone else became obliged to try to be a character. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, people had nicknames forever, right? It was Mike the Bike Halewood, right? In the '60s and shit. But there's no logo and color scheme and whole like, you know, like palette of artwork to go with Mike the Bike, right? It wasn't a brand. It's not a brand, exactly. And it's I, like, well, he's a brand. Well, I should be a brand too. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the Russians are branding. We don't want to fall behind on branding. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. It cannot be understated the the not just the way he changed the sport in that, but but he physically changed the sport. Let's talk about the leg dangle. Yeah, something that I, there's people still contend to this day. There's no consensus. Does this work? Is this a a good thing? Does it make any scientific sense or kind of? Is there any science behind how this works? Nope, so, so everyone for people that aren't super familiar with with GP racing, and for people that have only become big racing fans in the last couple of years, it's really fallen out of favor. But still, a few people do it. You'll see this thing where, kind of, especially at you can guarantee to see people do this at the end of the the front straight. They'll be they'll accelerate, you know, they accelerate up, then they got to decelerate into turn one and they'll get right to the outside and then they'll just like twist their body a little bit and throw their leg out onto the inside of the track as far as they can and and throw their leg out to catch as much wind as they possibly can, but also shift the their weight on the bike. And this was something that Valentino Rossi just just invented as a technique and without clearly knowing whether or not it was actually an advantage he was winning so much within three or four races half the grid just started doing it had never been done before he just invented this move and to this day a lot of people still do it and this move goes against a lot of a lot of <laughs> tradition in the thinking of your body and geometry and racing. You know, if you, t- if you um, read um, like a twist of the wrist, um, you know, Keith code talks about like, no, you need both of those feet on this pedal. So you can, um, uh, or those pegs, so you can push weight on the outside one, but you can't really effectively push your weight out on the outside one without stabilizing yourself with the foot on the inside, right? Like it's 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 a weird move, but he made it work, and uh, just that alone yeah. well, is. And you know, if you're 
if you're just going by the raw numbers and the incentives at any given time a hunt you know at least 60 of what have to be the top 150 road racers in the world at the time are going to be in moto gp moto gp moto 2 moto 3 and they're all doing it and nobody has an articulable reason why this is a good technique but it's really just it's just what rossi does so let's look up just the raw stats on all the wins and everything here because it's just it's just something else. Let me let me see here. All right. Um how many race starts do you think he has in Grand Prix racing? Oh, in Grand Prix? Uh oh jeez. It's got to be at least it's like what 22 times so like it's got to be close to 400 372 race starts oh yeah cuz there weren't that many races in the in the, the two stroke years and how then, many wins uh i'm going to say it's a about i know he's got more than a hundred i'm gonna say it's like a hundred and eight no it's it's 89 but we didn't get a hundred no i know he's got a hundred poles is it a hundred he has a hundred or what okay what 89 is an unbelievable number most people most profession most gp racers will never have more than three or four. No, I, 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 I'm just trying to grab... I know there is there is something he does have a hundred of in terms of Oh, Poland's. there's very many things he has more than a hundred of. It's, if it's, if, I don't know so if it's... So, how Poland's many podiums or... do you think he's got? Oh, it might be podium. Uh, no, no, he's got way more than that. He must have 199 like... podiums. I was gonna say about two hundred, but yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. So that so eighty nine of those wins, right? So when he got on the podium, he was more often than not winning. Right. That's crazy. Um. Uh, how many poll starts? Uh, well, actually. Uh, historically, Rossi has not been a, a very good pole starter so i'm gonna say across that like that 400 ish number or that 370 number i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 90 55 that low rossi was always always a sunday guy and this is one of the reasons that i think people were so forgiving of how dominant he was rossi was always like second, third row, fourth row, and and just made it up. And I, because here's the other thing: um, how many laps do you think he led? Like complete, like front laps. What, like on average per race? 
No, just like total. Total. You're you're asking me to do a lot of math now. I've got something in front of me that says, you know, F laps 76 here. Here's the thing. Like, Rossi didn't lead a lot. Rossi won a huge number of races on the last lap. Or do you mean final laps led? Yes. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Oh, so... Okay. Yeah, Rossi's wins are all super exciting. So there's like a They're 50% close battles. So there's like a 50% chance for every race that he won that he overtook on the last lap. Yeah. That he Yeah, yeah he was They were leading. all nail biters. They were all epic wins. There was none of this Lorenzo Marquez lead by 17 seconds. It was all tooth and nail. And people love him for that. It wasn't some sort of huge technology advantage or money advantage. It was just him being a super fierce competitor. Because it must be said, Rossi also has some of the dirtiest passes in MotoGP history. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the sketchiest moves. I remember in that... uh, in that uh, the documentary Faster, which if you haven't seen, go back and watch. It's from 2003. Oh, the, the Catalonia race? Um, uh, there's so many, but uh, but the original one with Ewan McGregor narrating it, um, and it, it, it does like... It does like, uh, like, like 98 to 2003 seasons or something like that. Um, Faster is a great documentary, even though like, you know, no one from then is still racing. It's fantastic. Um, uh, there's this part where they're talking to, I think the MotoGP doctor and he's just talking about like, yeah, I've known, I've known him a while. I've known him like a decade now. And like, you know, he goes, he's like, yeah, he's so lovable. People really like him. But what people forget about Valentino is he's a fierce competitor. He's all smiles and everything on TV, but on the track, like he just gives no quarter. And when you go back and watch the classic races, you know, him against Max Biaggi, he's kind of just like cleaning up. But like him against like Gibranau, it gets dirty. It gets real dirty. <laughs> and it's great. It's great. Um, so, yeah, on it, weirdly, like not leading a lot, just like cutting his way through the pack. He's, he's a Sunday. He is the definition of what they call a Sunday guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, not not a particularly good qualifier. Never was. Um, My favorite fact about oh. uh, Rossi <coughs> is just the fact that um, whenever he wins a race, the uh, the pastor in at the church in Tavulia oh, rings, rings the, the bell for yep. every win. Oh yeah. Um, here we go. How many career points do you think Valentino Rossi has? Oh, gee, Christ. <laughs> Why is the math just getting harder and harder? Um, shit, it's going to be... Oh, was a... I don't even know what the points were, like, pre-2014. Uh, I'm going to go with 5,000. 
You're unbelievably close. 5,415. I'm going to take that. Yeah, that's that's great. Again, most people won't clear 1,000 points over their entire career. There's a lot of people who average less than 10 points a year, yeah. That's... I mean, good racers will get a thousand points over their whole career. Like really good rate. Like Jack Miller might get a thousand points over his whole career. Maybe. Again, this is a little bit of a whose line is it anyway scenario. I mean, it's mostly stable now, but. <laughs> yeah, I you know, it. the stats are unbelievable. I mean, technically, like Giacomo Agostini has like more like overall wins, or whatever, but it's not even the same thing because it, it the 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 technology wasn't stabilized and just there's a whole bunch of other weird factors. I mean, nothing not to take away from Giacomo Agostini because we need to do something on Giacomo Agostini one of these days. We do because he's amazing as well. Right, but, but it's also Rossi's just stratospheric. It's crazy. The only kind of sports figure I can actually compare Rossi to in a way that would make sense to a lot of people um is to Tony Hawk. Uh Wayne Gretzky's another one. Wayne Gretzky is a good one. I think Tony Hawk fits a little bit more. But it's like, you know, Giacomo Agostini is a pre-900 skateboarder. Right. Like, it's... He exists in a totally... Well, forget the 900. He's pre-720. Yeah, he's in a totally different paradigm to... It's still one that you can compare some people to today, but it's not... It's... Rossi's is totally different. I, no one else has got, like I said, in between the two strokes and four strokes like him through, because you could say, okay, we've got one, two, five, two strokes. We've got 250 two strokes. We've got 500 two strokes. We've got one liter four strokes. We've got 800 four strokes. We've got the five cylinder bike. I mean, it just, no matter what you put him on for a good like 12 years, he was unstoppable. And then he was still very relevant and you could never count him out until like the last probably, I, I would say, I don't think he won in any of the last five or six years, probably six years, but for three of those, you couldn't count him out. He always had like a few podiums and some close near wins. I the last, his last win was 2013. Uh, I think it was 20. No, 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 no. Uh, it was not. 2016 it wasn't 2015 it wasn't 2014 2014 was marquez's first win wasn't it uh, he was still winning a lot of races against marquez the first couple years he was there i'm not talking about championship wins i'm talking about just race wins oh right i think i think it's been the last five five years he hasn't won a race I don't know if it was 2015 or 2016. It was with Vinales as his mm. teammates. I think it was... Oh, Actually, did he win or are they just second place? It doesn't matter. I, so, yeah. so, the, so the other thing is just pure longevity, right? Most people retire out of GP between ages like 28 and 30. That's the norm. He's 
42. I he's like he it, he is fucking Methuselah, right? In in, in race years. The, and 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 this is one of the most athletic racing sports. I mean, these days professional racers are top level athletes in every sense. Right. Yeah. This isn't. This isn't like the uh, the Tony what's his face days of NASCAR. What's his name? The dude, uh, dude from Indiana. Um, oh my gosh. Anyway, th- this isn't like this isn't eighties nineties NASCAR where you could get in there with like a beer gut and whatever and you know all that kind of crap. No, this is these guys are just these guys are hitting the gym every fucking day to just bear to stay relevant. Right. And he's 42 up against these guys who are like 19, 23, you know, like in that age range. And the absolute who are the everyone else is just peaking or starting to peak in their physical fitness. And he's 42 and he finishes his last race in 10th place. That's unbelievable. I mean, they would let Valentino Rossi is such a. Can Such a huge fit. They would have let him race another eight years, coming last place every goddamn race. If he wanted to, they would have just let him. Could you imagine somebody at the age of 40 just coming like 10th in the Olympic marathon? Right. Like, that's an insane proposition. But with a combination of skill and fitness, like, like how does that happen? How do you how do you keep up in a sport like this? Like you really you don't you just don't you don't no one does it in Formula One no one does it in well there's a couple guys like around like forty forty five in rally racing but that's such a weird talent pool. Um, uh, there's I mean there just aren't very many sports figures that really exist into into kind of you know they're they're like that's that become early middle-aged right like in uh in this but that but here we go valentina like you know not not a race winner at the end but not irrelevant at the end right and a lot of racers race until they're irrelevant mm. a lot of guys just finally have a season where they never break the top 10 and then their contracts isn't renewed. And, and that's not necessarily the case here, but it, but it doesn't matter. I mean, at 42, at twice the age of, of almost everyone else, I, that's a big deal. So he, so, I mean, that just tells you how, how, you know, if he was that good at 42, that's how good he was at 21. Right. Yeah, the leader of the pride always gets taken down, but how many years does he put on before it happens? Exactly, exactly. So, so we got that, but then that's almost. I think we we've we've said all these amazing things about Valentino Rossi, all these 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 huge unique characteristics of him, and I don't think we've even touched on the most important one yet, which I think is going to become as big a legacy as anything he did on the track, which is the VR 46 racing Academy. Yes. Yeah. Fill, fill people in on this Wiggs. 
So, in a totally bizarre move that, weirdly, while still being a relevant uh, professional racer, Valentino Rossi just decided in his spare time that he would start a racing academy for the lower classes of the racing uh, division that he was in and raised up and promoted several highly successful racers you know, around, you know, just casually scheduled with around, a huge bias towards Italian racers. With a huge bias towards Which Italian, I love. Which, just yeah. un, unabashedly, <laughs> unashamedly Italian. Yeah. In fact, and, also, not only just Italian, a little anti-Spanish as well. <laughs> yeah. But there and, you go. And he just, just casually just around his own fitness and training and research and traveling and just, personal race tracks yeah just decided, the ranch i'm just gonna mentor a bunch of young riders and get them signed on to other teams and bring them up and within what the span of what five years got uh two riders into moto gp Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, but then we also have actual VR46 racing teams. Yeah, we've got the Moto2 and the the, the Moto2 branded team. Uh, is there a Moto3? I think there were VR46 Moto3 bikes. I don't think there are anymore, but there were. Uh, but now, next year, we have a VR46 GP team. Yeah. It's, or it's, we're supposed to. He's essentially... We'll see what happens. He's essentially... It's like being a football star and also playing football manager in real life and winning at both. Well, he's good. He's been like the Michael Jordan of motorcycle racing, and now he's going to be the Nicky Lauda of motorcycle racing as well. At the same time. At the same, right? Like, he's just going to be this elder, like, you know, you know, because Nicky Lauda, you know, was like, at every fucking Formula One race, you know, with teams just developing cars and riders and this and that, like nonstop, just never left the sport, which is always a staple of the sport. And I, the, we're we're going to see Rossi on the track, you know, or in in the pits and doing whatever until he's like ninety, right? I, I you know. And you know, I want to hand this to Rossi as well. He's forty-two, and I, I feel like on any like in any random picture, he looks younger than me, right? Uh, he he's just he's just a youthful dude, and and he he I don't know. There's just a certain attitude and a sort of free spirit isn't the right word, but there's a sort of like like wistfulness to anything that he attaches himself to. There's a little bit of mischief in every, there is a little bit of mischief too. And GP needs that. Like when, when Lorenzo retired and we didn't have that ridiculous back and forth between Rossi and his rifle anymore, we kind of lost a little something, didn't we? Yeah. Like the amount of shit talking in 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 the headlines between racers has gone down in 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 recent years, and 
I I I have to imagine that as a team owner, he's not really gonna shy like you know scold people for for doing that stuff. I think he understands the dynamic and the power that racers can have and the positive power racers can have when they really control their own image. Yeah. Um let's see. Uh what else has Rossi really really done? I mean, there's so many little things too. Like these are some of the more trivial things, but if you think about the every racer has pre-race rituals that they go through but rossi made his famous right it's also just like the dumbest and most shameless of well i mean it is actually it is actually genius and it's totally authentic of just doing the uh doing doing the the catholic sign of the cross and then just pulling his leathers out of his junk and his ass crack. Well, there's <laughs> that, but, but I was talking more about the, um, like the the kneeling down with the bike and kind of like yeah. holding his hand to it and like you know like feeling its energy and like being with the bike and everything. And I mean, he's finding a Zen state, and at a certain point, it doesn't matter what you're doing; it's more important that you have the ritual than what the ritual is. But at this point, I think on broadcast television, I think just pulling his leathers out of his crotch and ass crack may be like more significant at this point. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, what, what else? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Rossi, very famous for uh, being there at the, to witness the race starts for everyone in the VR 46 Academy. But even yeah. before that, just riders in the lower classes that he happened to be friendly with. He, when the team may have wanted to talk to him about something about the race or, you know, arguing one last time over tire choices or whatever, always choosing to be there looking on at the race starts. Yeah. When other people just didn't have time for it. Um, Right, till his last race, just uh, just always there for the Moto Three race start, N- never missing it. Just because, even if it was just one of his VR forty six riders in eighteenth you know, place, he was going to be there to see the start on the start line. I and never losing enthusiasm for it, never being there just because. Oh, the cameras expect me to be there. Just always, you could just tell it just like the camera's the last thing on his mind. He's there intensely focused. Everything was always his choice. Right. I, yeah, I, there's not going to be another Valentino Rossi, which is a dumb statement and very obvious on the front, on its surface. But I mean, really. Like, there's not going to be another Wayne Gretzky. There's not going to, you know, we might get another Michael Jordan. We're not getting another Valentino Rossi. Not in our lifetime. It's going to be a while. And But here's the thing. We might not get another Valentino Rossi in any sport in our lifetime. 
Okay, settle down. Uh, I'm not going to go to that scale, but I think if we if we were to get another Valentina Rossi, we'll probably be close to retirement by the time it happens. Yeah, I, this is this is a a moment to take note of. Well, I mean, first of all, just nine world championships. So. If if we are going to get another one, it's definitely not going to happen for another decade because it's mathematically impossible, right? Someone would have to win every championship for a decade straight to get another Valentina Rossi in the next decade. Uh, well, I want to bring you, up the obvious That's just point. hard numbers, Swigs. You can't. Well, I want to bring up the obvious point, but I want to take a quick break. Because I have, I really have to be. Okay, that's cool. Well, I think we can we can uh, put we can we can put the 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 Valentino talk to the side for a moment and just simply say, it's been a while since we've done this. We don't do this very often, but I we are putting Valentino Rossi finally in the Nokomoto Motorcycle Hall of Fame. There's maybe what I think we've like. We have two people. We had we Joey have, Dunlop. And we have... Valentino Rossi. And Evil Knievel. And Evil Knievel, yeah. I mean, I, we're keeping pretty... It, it, we're, we're keeping it exclusive. This is very exclusive. This is very exclusive. Uh, you've really got to pull some shit off to get onto our top, <laughs> our list, okay? Um You've really got to bring something special to the table. Um, uh, so yeah, let's let's put a little pause in this, and then let's come back with uh, some emails and stuff, and then we'll be done on this one. All right, let's put our little thing in here. And we're back. Okay, so we got quite a few emails, it turns out, more than we thought to catch up on. So Swiggs is going to read the emails, and for the first time in a long time, he's kind of drunk. So, um, I guess we'll mention, just in case it gets weird, Swiggs has got a little help. Oh no, he's just leaving us now. The the po- Our new podcast dog, Eric, uh, a little four-month-old puppy here, is making noise. Get out of here, bud. Alright, cool. Swiggs, let's start with the most recent action on Patreon. All right, so we got uh, a communication on Patreon, and it was a bike recommendation. And this is from Leon. And Leon says, What up, guys? So a good friend of mine just got her motorbike license last weekend is now. It is time to find her a bike. Crunch time. Would love your advice here. I've narrowed it down a fair bit to the list below. If you could have a read and weigh in, it would be super cool. So I should mention that she wants to go down a sporty route. So here is the list in orders of pricing in Australian dollars. Also, all these bikes are learner approved, and we have to do the whole restricted bike thing for the first few years of having a license here. And he goes through the... I'm uh, already saying Vitpillin, but okay. He says, uh, Kawasaki Ninja 400. This seems like a total no-brainer. Great entry bike. That potentially may never really be outgrown. Takes all the bikes that we're, tr- we're trying for a secondhand bike. Right now, uh, 
costs around seven grand, and we're looking to work towards a sub 5k budget. That is next option is the Yamaha R3, similar to the Ninja in terms of ticking a lot of boxes, also similar to the Ninja in terms of price point. Not quite as high, could find one with around 25,000 kilometers for around 6k or 5.5 if you're lucky, but still a bit of a stretch budget wise. Uh, and then he breaks everything else down on the options. Uh, he slow he does throw in the uh, the KTM RC three ninety, which that's too much for a first yeah. bike. So then all the actual kind of viable budget bikes he throws in are the uh, CBR three hundred R, the CB three hundred F, and the CBR two fifty R. And he kind of goes through and he kind of hems and haws. And yes, there are some of those that you can get for three grand or so over there. Uh, and he's kind of thinking about like, what would you go for? And so when I made this decision, when I made this uh, suggestion, I was pretty drunk at the time, but it just kind of made sense. And I just ran with it. And this is when I made a realization is that now potentially the Ninja 300 is kind of in a sweet spot that makes it a best bike in the world. Oh, right. Cause it's not super high in the performance, but the depreciation is all time low, especially when used bike prices are all time high. Yeah, yeah, it's the the perfect level of uncool and undesirable, but it's still better than a CBR three hundred. Well, it's still a modern looking sport bike. It doesn't nail the aesthetic like the Ninja four hundred does, but it's still yeah, it, it is still a modern sport bike in that beginner mm -hmm. category. Yeah, absolutely, and it's fuel injected. You can get it with ABS. It's still that kind of like 39 horsepower, you know, and, and uh, he found one. He found one with ABS within his budget. It was like, um, and he said it was. Um, well, it's for his friend, right? It's for his friend under 10,000 miles. Ooh, okay. For, for uh, $4,000 Australian. Ooh, so that's what? Like, that's about 3200 US? It's like $3,400, $3,600 US. Okay, I wasn't too far off. Okay. Uh, what year again? Uh, he didn't say the year, but I mean, they're all the same 2013 to 2017. Uh, wasn't the th Ninja 300 more like 06? No, 2012 to 2017, I believe. Oh, really? No, it was, oh, no, everything else was a redesign of the Ninja 250. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Even Kill Bill was still a 250. Was still a 250. You're right. Okay. Y yeah. Yeah, you're right. I remember. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, okay. All right. So that's, yeah, that's good. That's compelling. I like that. I like that a lot. That's, that's a, that's a good, solid, decent uh, a starter bike, especially if you want a sporty bike. That's a win. Everyone wins there. I'm, I'm good with that. 
All right. What's our next one? All right. Our next one is uh, I have lost the email. Uh, and damn, my email won't scroll. Oh my gosh, Swigs. Jeez. I would be looking these up, but I can't. My my inbox is broken. What? Just pick a, an email, and on the next one, we'll get back to the order. This can't be that bad. Okay, we're okay. A fas- a f- we're officially back to Swiggy reads the emails drunk, right? That you can't work email. Oh, just give, just give me a sec. It's, it's all good. Uh, you have what, like okay. almost a decade experience as a Java developer, and now you're struggling with your email. <laughs> I can't make the page load. Okay. <laughs> okay. Look. Okay, here we go. This is from Eric, and he says, Thanks a fucking lot, guys. He says, Hey, Swiggy Moto GP, love the show. I live in Colorado Springs and drive to New Mexico a lot for my fiance. Listening to your shows made the trips so much better. I had an epiphany that made me realize you guys completely changed my view on motorcycles, and I figured I'd have to thank you. Growing up, it was cruisers or die for my dad's rides. Even though his first bike was a Kawasaki Spectre 750. I love that bike. It's a sweet bike. Uh, He says, I had never really thought of other types of bikes until listening to you for a while. Slowly I started looking into smaller and smaller bikes and scooters, not to mention picking up a 2019 BMW G310R for cheap and absolutely loving smaller bikes. The last straw came the other day when I caught myself drooling over a guy's Honda Ruckus when I thought, thanks a fucking lot, guys. I also noticed the more I listen to you, the more and more my current bike, a 2016 Indian Scout I picked up a few years ago, used for eight grand, became about function over form. It now sits with a tall-ass windshield, Amazon cheap bark buster knockoffs, and an Amazon trunk, which took it from only go on weekend rides vehicle to a daily commuter i had tried but the cold of the of the wind chill always got me in the mornings on i-25 with the add-ons i'm still going strong every day as i can as a 23 year old you can kind of guess my friends don't get my love of this practicality thing over style but none of them are riding anymore so what do they know my family has always been big into motorcycles as far back as my grandpa and his dad taking their barn find 1947 Indian chief from Anderson, Indiana, all the way as far as Yellowstone in 1953. My great grandpa was the real deal along the way the engine broke down and he rented a garage at a service station and rebuilt the engine on the road. Fucking insane. He also took his 56 BMW R50 to all 48 continental state capitals in only 48 days in 1976, which apparently also included some major repairs to the bike. Anyways, thought you guys would find that kind of cool, and thanks again. Keep making the awesome content. P.S. I've attached two pictures of my totally uncool and therefore awesome scout mods, 
and the family chief on its way to Sturgis in 91. And I need to find a way to cast these because these pictures are amazing. Anderson. Isn't Anderson near uh, Deer Creek? Uh, you would know a lot better than I would. I think it is. Uh, there's some sort of folk festival my band played in Anderson a while ago. Anyway, um, yeah, that's a big trek. Um, okay. Uh, there's a lot in that email. Um, there was. I don't know where to, what to respond to. I mean, I mean, uh, thanks for listening. I, I, uh, so he's going to New Mexico from Colorado Springs. How often? I mean, I guess often enough to listen to all of this bullshit, right? Well, uh, I guess if it's uh, along the side, I wonder. Oh, what was the what was the town we went to, or what was the in the the hotel motel we went to on our first night on our on our little trip? What was it called? Oh, oh, the um, El Rancho. The El Rancho. Yeah. I want to believe that's where he's going. That's where he's going. Yeah. The most haunted place in New Mexico, supposedly as per (laughs) ghost hunters. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's worse things to do than to listen to us between Colorado Springs and El Rancho. All right. Cool. Um, Yeah. Okay. Next email. (laughs) Although I will say his Indian that he's modified is so uncool that it is absolutely cool. It is absolute function, uh, function over form in a way that makes it badass. Yeah. Well, that that's you and me, uh, every year on the, the Christmas toy run, right? Going through, going through the, uh, the parking lot. And we're just looking at ridiculous ass candy, Harley after ridiculous ass candy, Harley. And then we see something that's just decked out for practicality. And it's like, where's the owner of this bike? <laughs> He's the only other kindred spirit here. Like, <laughs> All right. So Brandon sent us an email, uh, correcting us on our bullshit and he says hey guys looks like the true lies bike is an ex 500 not a ninja 250 they look similar but the half fairing and the ex displayed on the side gives it away also i owned one back then great all-rounder slash commuter bike back then i even rode mine up the pacific coast highway from san diego to mendocino california way back in the 90s Great ride. Hope to do it again soon. Keep up the good content. I knew this. I, I definitely. I should have known this. I definitely looked this up at one point, and I don't know why I didn't remember it at the time. But he's absolutely right. It is so, an X five hundred. The thing about the Ninja five hundred is it's a great bike for the first half of its life. But this bike went from 1987 to 2009 unchanged. Well, that's, I think I don't. That's think, a long time. Well, I don't, I don't think this was an endorsement of the X500. I think this is more of a, a statement of fact. 
Well, uh, so 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 well. I mean, it also was also a sweet bike in the nineties. Right. So so from the late eighties through the nineties, EX five hundred Ninja, absolutely no, nothing wrong with it. By two thousand, I the suspension was just not up to snuff. The the anything the just the buying one new was just not on the table as a reasonable proposition. There was so much better on the market. You know, it draws a interesting parallel parallels with the uh, with the Harrier Jump Jet. Okay, that also made a big appearance in, in True Lies. Lies. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, was anybody really, really into VTOL at that stage? I don't know. <laughs> in the I, late nineties, was it still cool? I mean, you know, power-wise, this motor was still great through 2009 at 50 horsepower and, you know, 30 foot-pounds of torque, somewhere around there. That's still perfectly serviceable. You know, 50 horsepower, you know, out of a 500 is nothing to put your nose up at even today. But yeah, if you if you take off the body, I've seen these without the bodywork on them. And you would think it's a bike from the like the seventies. It's really basic underneath, really, really basic. And there's nothing wrong with that except that the Ninja Two Fifty got better updates than this did for some weird reason. I, well, I mean, the Ninja Two Fifty was more affordable, so it sold in better numbers, right? It was. Its problem is that it was just in a no man's land in between 250s and 600s. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like... Don't get me wrong. I like them. I think they look cool as shit. And if you're just going to have an 80s bike, this is a great one to have. Also a bike similar to a lot of Hondas that just, for some reason, showed up in a ridiculous quantity in like a in burgundy yeah but yeah sweet bike also yeah thank you for the email yeah thank you for the correction and moving on i've got an email from phil who says hello swiggy and moto gp just want to send hello and let you know i never miss an episode please keep up the great work fyi joined your patreon as a squid i would give you more but i gave junkie like 500 a month so I'm sort of low on cash. I think the XT500 should be a best bike and or the TT500, but the XT did win the first Dakar. I have a 1977 XT500, and it really is a, fi- a fun bike. Phil from NorCal. I will investigate this bike more and give this some very serious consideration. Um... Yeah, that's all I can really say. We can't guarantee that as a uh, that as a squid level Patreon member, we will make your bike suggestion best or worst bike, but we will take it under very very serious consideration. That I mean, mm. even at even at squid level, we are we we're we are listening. Uh, pa- the Patreon's up to fifteen members, by the way. Really nice to see. Didn't expect that. Um, 
I mean, I guess we kind of expected that, but like we expected that a few months from now. We didn't expect it to be that pretty much right off the bat. So thank you guys. But, you know, also if you were thinking about joining the Patreon, don't let that dissuade you. We could always use more members. I could always be more drunk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of beer to keep this ship afloat. All right. Next one. All right. We got an email from Eric who uh, just wanted to know. Uh, didn't know if you had watched uh, FIM Supermoto GP. But this is a lot of fun to watch. You'll thank me later. And he linked us to the uh, Abruzzo round of uh, uh, FIM Moto, uh, Supermoto. Which I should be watching this. Supermoto is awesome. It is I know it really, is. really good. Especially just and not just road racing supermoto, but like proper mixed track supermoto, which is what FIM uh, supermoto is. And it's awesome. The one thing I will say is I feel like they need to they need to incorporate some drones and get yeah and well, get some way better camera angles so my whole thing now that i'm no longer a restaurant manager is this next year i want to watch all of ama motocross and supercross and, and i'll just pay for peacock to do it and of course i'm always going to watch gp I want to at least watch all of the Moto America Superbike and Junior and Junior Cup. I don't know if I've got much time for the 600 and the Twins. I mean, they're great. It's just that I have a lot on my plate for what I want to watch this next year because I mean, you know, just just all the AMA Supercross and Motocross is a lot, right? Um and then I want to watch one other weird ass thing that I don't know how I'm, you know, whether it's flat track, whether it's supermoto or something else. But I'm actually going to be on a schedule that doesn't involve completely random fucking hours. And I'll be able to watch more than like just the GP that I was able to watch this year with random like, you know, I may be caught like an eighth of all the supermoto this year at best and not super uh, uh supercross and i was pissed about that i mean the th- what we went and saw live was a meaningful amount of the amount of of uh motocross that i got to see this year yeah uh just just because of just a crazy year crazy job crazy everything well not to mention all my health shit and all that other crap so uh yeah this next year i'm i'll probably that's that's a good one to include for what i want to watch because i watch no tv i watch hardly any movies i i really do like this show and research for this show and my job and other you know other bike related things so i you know I can fit that in, but hmm. okay, yeah. I so mean, you so, still haven't even seen Dune yet, which I 
okay. It's embarrassing. You know, like what my current super ridiculous busy schedule is. It's not. It's not easy to fit it in. But after Christmas, it will be. So I may have to see like a second showing or something. But you know what? Like it'll be fine. Well, actually, no, 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 no. Th- this weekend I can't. But next weekend we could go see Dune. That would be very realistic. We're waiting for the re. We're we're waiting for the reshowing on IMAX. Are we? We are. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, do we have another email, or is that the end? Um, uh, I think that's the last one. All right, cool. Well, hey, this has gone on a lot longer than I thought it would. We're at two freaking hours again. We always end up here. We're, it's going to be a quick one, and then here we go. Um, I mean, you know, I knew we were going to have like 20 minutes, 25 minutes of Valentina Rossi. I didn't know we were going to have 45 minutes of Valentina Rossi. But, I mean, hey, that's the legend that he is, right? So here we go. Let's just... You know what? Let's just get out of here quick. All right. This has been 173. We had a blast. Hope you had a blast. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Remember, um, what's the thing we always say? Oh my gosh. Um, stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting the dragon. And let's do the outro. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my mower. I can suck start a Harley.